on, amen? The Bible tells us that the field is white under the harvest. So what's the problem? The problem is with workers. Where are the servants of God? Where are those who are called to be a witness? Where are those who are called to step out and to do what God has called them to do? And my message today is going to be geared towards believers because we're going to go into the next, the next well, it's a letter that was written to a church. So it was a letter written to believers. And so if you're not a believer today, if you're not one who has made a commitment to, and again, I'm not asking if you believe in Jesus, but have you committed yourself as a follower of Christ? Have you given him your heart? Have you, have you been born again? See, that, that, I'm not, listen, there's a lot of people that believe in Jesus and aren't born again. And Scripture, Matthew 7, it tells us that there are those who say, I believe in you, I do this and that, but he doesn't know you. So are you in an intimate, are you in a relationship with Jesus? You need to begin right there. And today, this morning, even right now, the Bible says that he who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're not born again, turn your heart towards him right now and say, Lord God, forgive me of my sin. Even in this quiet place, in your own quiet place, call out and say, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I need to be forgiven. I am filled with guilt and condemnation. I am filled with unforgiveness and bitterness. I am filled and I'm unhappy and I need you, Jesus, to come into my life. And you watch. He will change your heart right here, right now. And this message can either be a message that you endure (laughs) or it can be one that transforms your life. Because this is a, a letter, this is written to the church. So as the church, as the, the body of Christ, let me, let me begin by asking you this. What do you pay attention to? What is it that you spend most of your time paying closest attention to? Is it the stock market? House, pri- house prices? Is it you know, interest rates? Is it what's going on in the news? I mean, what is it that has your attention? Is it your favorite sports team? Your favorite band? Is it a certain singer? Is it a new movie that's coming out? The newest fad in whatever movie is being made? The, you know, the seventh, eighth, ninth sequel to the something that you loved? Is it your favorite video game that is coming out with something new? What has your attention? Who do you follow online? Who's the YouTuber that, you know, you follow? Where is it that you're, you know, getting your information? Where is it that, you know, your podcasts are... Who do you listen to? It's funny, isn't it, that most of all of that, most of all of what we pay attention to is right here. It's right on our phone. I mean, it's just, and it's, and it's always so close to us. I mean, come on, you can forget your kids at home. <laughs> Man, but you'll turn back for this. <laughs> no, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. You know what? I, if I'm my phone, my phone. Because, again, this is where we connect ourselves, and we connect ourselves to the world so often with that. We keep it so close because this is what we pay closest attention to. Well, if I was to take your phone this morning and take a look at where your history has been in that, what would I see as what you pay most attention to? Again, this whole thing, it tells, about, it tells a lot about who we love, about what we love. 
about what we're into, about some of the things that we may not be into. But church, what do you pay the closest attention to? Who do you pay the most attention to? As, as we've been going through these letters, and I hope that you, you know, I hope I'm not the only one, but sometimes I get these weird kind of thoughts like, have you ever wondered or have you ever been curious? What does Jesus pay attention to? I mean, do you think he gets bored sitting up there in heaven? Like he's got nothing to do? Well, what's he doing? What's he, what's he paying attention to? I mean, Jesus, he came to this earth. He came for a purpose, as John was saying. Jesus came into this world, and he came with a purpose. He came on this mission to glorify the Father. He came on a rescue mission for you. He came to find you when you were lost in your darkness and did not know how to get out, when you were bound in your sin and could not find a way to be forgiven. He came into your life. He came into this world so that he could find you and save you and show you a way out of a hell bound eternity into a life with Christ and a life eternal with him as well. He came to rescue you. He came to die for us as sinners. And he did that. He went to the cross and he died for you and me. And he rose from the grave. The grave could not hold him. And he arose from the grave and he ascended into heaven. And he was seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's where he is today. In all of his glory, in all of his authority, he is the exalted one. And he is enthroned at the right hand of the Father. And that that's where Jesus is. And from that place, the Bible tells us, he sees and knows all. Amen. So, that being said, what's he paying attention to? What is it? I, I, I have to have these thoughts like that and as I go through and I think about, you know, as we've been going through Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, I can't help but notice that, wow, Jesus pays a lot of attention to the church. Jesus, I mean, all these letters, they're written to the church. He pays attention, and not just to the church, but to the local church. He does. He pays a lot of attention to the local church. And so Jesus, he comes in his glorified state. He comes into a cave up on the top of Patmos where he comes to a man who'd been boiled alive. They couldn't kill him. And so they exile him. They send him to an island called Patmos. And he's up in a cave on a Sunday morning worshiping, the Bible says. And Jesus in his glorified state comes into this and he gives him seven letters that he gives for who? For seven local churches. And this is what he does. He's paying attention to the local church. Let me ask you, do you pay attention to the local church? Do you pay attention to what's going on here in your church? Do you, do you know what's going on? Hey, I can ask that because I, I, get, I get phone calls from some of you asking what time something will start. Did you listen to the announcements? Oh, no, I don't listen to those. 
Do you know what's going on in your local church? Do you know how to pray for your church? Do do you know who's leading what ministry? Who's involved in that? Do you know who's serving in children's church at different times? Do you know, you know, like this whole thing? I mean, are are you praying to help pray for what's going on with our youth and how we can do that? Are you prayerfully praying about how you can be involved? How you can be plugged in? Do you have gifts that aren't being used? Do you have places where you can minister and you just haven't been willing to give the time? Are you willing to prayerfully consider how God would place you in the body of Christ and use you? You see, Jesus is paying really close attention to the local church. He's paying attention so much so that we read these letters that he wrote over 2,000 years ago and he makes it very clear that he knows who the spiritual leaders are in each of those churches. He knows who the physical leaders are in those churches. He knows the theology of those churches. He knows where their doctrine is good and he knows where their doctrine is bad. He knows where they've allowed false worship to come in. He knows where they've allowed idol worship to be combined with Christianity. He knows where they've become culturally infected so that it begun to come against that place of, of real, true, straight Christian walk. According to those scriptures, he knew where the false teachers were at. He knew which churches they were in. He knew the churches that were struggling with some of these things. He knew the churches that were suffering under persecution and under attack. He knew who they were. He knew the names of those in the churches that were experiencing that. He also knows which churches were standing strong. He knew all of that. And it's very clear that he has a detailed picture, a very detailed picture of what's going on exactly in the local church. So, again, what do you pay attention to? I can tell you this. Jesus, he pays very close attention to what's going on inside the local church. Some of you may like that and some of you may not. He pays the close attention. You know, again, in here, listen, you're just reading through these letters. You know what he didn't do? He didn't write these letters to the individuals in the church. He didn't, he didn't write these to individual Christians because, hey, it's all and only about a personal relationship with Jesus. He didn't do that, though. And again, I'm not saying I I want you to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Without a personal relationship with Jesus, you are not saved. You need to be born again, which brings you into his family, which makes it personal. And you need to have that personal relationship. So I want you to be in a personal relationship with Christ. I want you. He wants you. Listen, Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you. But he doesn't write these letters to individual people that he has a personal relationship with. Instead, he writes these letters to the churches, to the people corporately that he has personal relationship with. It's not to the individual. These are collectively given to people, the people of God. And sometimes, listen, sometimes Jesus has nothing nice to say. Mary did not teach Jesus. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. Because Jesus, if there was something that he didn't like, Jesus didn't, he didn't hold it back. He said something that, hey, I don't like what's going on. What you're doing is not good. He didn't hold back. And if there was a church that was doing some good things and then had some bad things going on, he encouraged them in the good things and then he called them to be corrected on the things that they needed to correct. Come on, amen? This is what he said. 
It's what he did. He goes, here's some good, here's some bad. I, here, I want you to keep doing the things that, you, that are good, and I want you to make the corrections on the things that need to be corrected. That's what he did. And here we see this church in Philadelphia, and, and this is one of those churches that is, it's, it's amazing because he has nothing bad to say about them. Nothing. It's only, there's no correction. It's all just commendation for them. There's just pure encouragement is what he drops in their lap. And, and again, I, I get frustrated because, again, I think people use it as an excuse for their behavior. We use it as an excuse in the church. I hear it from a lot of times. I've heard it from pastor friends of mine that we try to lump the, uh, the church as a whole into all churches. And so, you know, there's 300 plus churches that are in the United States of America. Over 300,000 churches. And people will make a statement like, well, the church has just gone astray. Really? All 300,000 of them? Or, or we'll say things like, well, the church is, you know, alive and growing and doing well. Really? 300,000 of them? Then, then why are 3,500 churches a year closing in the United States of America if the church is alive and growing well? Look, we, are, we shouldn't make generalizations about the church. We need to look at each, the, the shape of each individual church because this is what Jesus is doing here. Because otherwise, we'll never be able to look at the things that Jesus wants to bring as correction in the church. We'll never be able to see the places where God wants to bring encouragement to us because we've got this generalization going on that really isn't true. He wants us to look, just as he does, into the local church. What is it that Jesus is looking for us to do? What is it that Jesus wants us to be? Are we seeing the places where we're strong? Are we looking at the places where we're weak? Will we evaluate the church as Jesus would evaluate the church? And he does it all in a loving way. We get too many people that want to evaluate the church and then come across in a critical, mean-spirited way and tell all the things the church isn't doing. But we need to be like Jesus and be, able, be willing to look at the church and evaluate it. What, listen, what can I do for the local church? I'm losing my amen choir quickly here. Come on. I promise this is going to be a good word for you if you'll receive it. I, this will be an encouragement to you. God wants you to find what your life is for. Can you, can you ask him, will you ask him, what can I do for the local church? So we have this church here in Philadelphia, and this, should, this church is a great encouragement because that church, again, this church has no correction. There's only commendation. Now, again, there's a lot of background to the church. I'm not going to bore you with a whole bunch of historical things because th there's a lot of the historical things are some of the same things that we've talked about in the first five churches. There was all sorts of um, idol worship. There was all sorts of temples that were going on. There was, uh, I mean, the wine goddess that was worshipped there. It was a, a place where there was a lot of drunken sorts of uh, misbehavior, just like in some of the other churches. All sorts of wonderful things going on there. But Philadelphia, the original Philadelphia, was not in the United States. Amen. Come on. It was way back. In the, and Philadelphia was named, and it means you know, brotherly love. And, and so it's called the city of brotherly love. This one, this here in Turkey, this original Philadelphia was named the city of brotherly love. And they say because two brothers who founded the city of Philadelphia named it Philadelphia because it was actually founded by two brothers that actually loved each other. 
So it got that name, the city of brotherly love. Well, William Penn, that's one of the reasons that he chose that for naming Philadelphia here in the United States of America. And it's still called, even here, the city of brotherly love. Now, in Turkey, the city, it's, it's changed names and it's, it's different, but it's still known for the, the really nice, wonderful, fertile ground. It's actually one of the places where many of the raisins, it's one of the most fruitful places for raisins to come from. So next time that you are putting some raisins in your oatmeal or the next time you're eating your raisin bran, you think about the church at Philadelphia and Revelation chapter 3. You can sit down, open it up, and read about it. Amen. Amen. So before I read the scriptures to you, there's two things after, I, after I've gone through this and a couple of things that I want to mention because I want you to think about this as we go through the scripture. And the first thing that I want to mention to you is that, number one, listen, not all sin is worth mentioning. I know, that sounds so weird. But look, do you think the church in Philadelphia was perfect? Do you, I mean, do you or don't you think the church in Philadelphia was perfect? Do you, do you think that in the church in Philadelphia that they had some conflict at times? Do you, do you think they were, everybody was giving fully and giving generously and serving passionately and praying fervently? Do you think everybody in the church was just being perfect in all of their ways? No, no of course not. Do, do you think there had some problems? Yes. yes, you think so? Why? <laughs> Because there's no such thing as getting people together and not having problems. Okay, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Talking about marriage. Let alone in this kind of a context. Anytime you get people together, you got problems. And listen, Jesus, did he mention any of that? Did he mention any of their failures? Did he mention any of their shortcomings? Did he mention any of the sin that they were, I'm sure, experiencing? No. Because this, not all sin... <laughs> needs to be mentioned. Come on, amen. We got too many people trying to do the job of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we have to trust that the Holy Spirit will do that. You know what? There, sometimes people that love God fall. Sometimes people that love God make mistakes. Are we just sitting back waiting for people to make mistakes so we can say, ah, gotcha. No, I mean, we need to be willing to bring a word of encouragement. This church, the, Jesus brought to them a word of encouragement, but they weren't perfect. But there was nothing that rises to the level that needed to be confronted, which means to me this, that God is not looking at you and I to be perfect. He's looking at you and I. Look, he's not looking for perfection. He's looking for our direction. And sometimes when we're headed in the right direction, there's things that we do where we step to the right or to the left, and man, you know that God's going to bring you back. That's not stuff. We don't have to correct people in all of that. I don't do that. Even as your pastor, I don't do that. I trust that the Holy Spirit will help to do those things in your life if you really seek the Holy Spirit. Now, there's times when people will step off track and they will get out of direction. And I think that those are places when we do need to love our brothers and sisters enough to go to them and say, hey, man, this is not going to be fruitful for your life. You need, to, you need to turn this around. But some people, all they want to do is just find problems. And they want to find those problems. Well, listen, Jesus, he, he, you need to look at his example. 
He didn't confront anything here that he you know, was rising to the level where it was worth talking about, which meant to me that, you know what, this church was doing pretty good. They were headed in a good direction. And the second thing I want to mention is that encouragement, listen, church, encouragement is a powerful, powerful force. You will help more people by encouraging them in their fruitfulness in their walk than you will correcting them in the places where they stumble. Encouragement is a power. And Jesus speaks to this church in Philadelphia and he says, hey, I see what you're doing and I want you to know I'm proud of you and I love you very, very much. Wow. Do you know what happened? This is the church in Philadelphia. It's the only church that was all just, man, all encouragement. Do you know what happened? This church was the longest standing New Testament church ever. This church stood for 1,300 years. Oh, the building came down because of there was volcanoes and it was a place where there was lots of earthquakes and the building came down, but the church survived. Wouldn't that be so cool? It's just the thought of that. that I wonder if there was people 1,300 years later that had the same last name as those who were in the church when it began. Wouldn't that be cool should the Lord tarry for a couple hundred years that new life would still be standing, probably in another building, but there would still be some of the same last names there. That's the power of encouragement. Let me say, moms and dads, you have the ability to speak into the life a word of encouragement into your children that will last them a lifetime. Listen, I, I would dare to bet that most of you that have been around at all, you are right now, you are thinking about that word of encouragement that a teacher or a parent or a grandparent spoke into your life. And it's, gonna, it's been there and it's still there with you. And it's going to affect you. And you've begun to minister that same word to your family, to your children. And they will minister that word to their grandchildren. Because a word of encouragement has the power to, to transcend generations. Come on, Amen. Oh, look at, I mean, some of you probably know the word of discouragement that came that has affected your life as well. But this encouragement came to the church and it lasted 1,200 years. Jesus provides this encouragement to that church and I want you to know that he provides that encouragement for you and I as well. And I pray that this will encourage you as we go through this, as we read this over the next few weeks. So let's listen to what he says to the church of Philadelphia. He starts off as he did in, in the other letters to the other churches and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Okay, so he's asking him to write this. It's a letter. He, Jesus, he knows the spiritual leadership. He knows the physical uh, human leadership that's in the church. And he's writing this through the spiritual leadership to the physical leadership, to the congregation. And he says, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and shuts and no one will open. And then verse eight, and this is where I just, I want to look at this today. He says, I know your works. Man, listen, he's telling us that he is paying attention. He sees us. He sees you. He's paying attention. Let me say to you life group leaders, he sees what you're doing. Thank you. To you kids church ministers, he sees what you're doing. Thank you. 
to those of you who are working behind the scenes, those of you in the, in the sound booth, those of you that are checking kids in, those of you that are helping in the nursery, he sees you, and I want to say thank you. To those of you who are showing up early to pray for services, for those of you that are working during the week to hand out food and clothing to people in need, he sees you, and I want to say thank you. To those of you that are praying for your church, to those of you that are giving generously, to those of you that are serving in every capacity and any capacity, to those of you who are sharing your faith, to those of you who are telling your neighbors about Jesus, I want you to know that he pays attention and he says to you, I know your works. Man, I know that in the church that we are not good enough at being grateful for all that y'all do. And, and the gratitude. But listen, there should be no greater place of gratitude and thankfulness than what Jesus gives you right here. Amen. What the Lord Jesus Christ gives you. I want you to know, listen, he knows who we are. He knows who you are. He knows what we're doing. He knows how we're trying to help. He knows how we're serving. He knows how you're giving. He knows how you're praying. He knows who you're serving. He knows he pays attention. And he's paying attention to you. Listen, the Bible tells us that Jesus, Jesus knows every hair on your head. However difficult or easy that might be. He knows. And not only does he know that, he also knows every, he knows the name of every volunteer that's serving in the church, that's helping to minister through the local body. He knows who you are. And I want to say on his behalf, on my behalf, I want to say thank you. Amen. Thank you for your service. Yes. But I want you to know even more importantly in this, that Jesus knows. And that should be greatly, greatly encouraging to us. Jesus says, I know your works. Look, I just in being honest with you, and I'm sure that there are many of you that you're serving and you wonder the same thing. You wake up in the morning and feel like, man, I don't even know if this matters. Is anybody's life really being changed? Is anybody really, is it really helping anybody? And there's times when I certainly wake up in that place where there's this discouragement going, is this really, does it really matter? And Jesus says, it matters to me. Amen. There's times when you may wonder, as I do, does anybody even care? And Jesus says, I do. What more do we need? Jesus cares for our church. Jesus cares for our leaders. Jesus cares for our people. Jesus cares for the mission that he's given us a heart for. He says, I know your works, church. That's amazing to me. It's amazing to us. It's so encouraging to know that Jesus sees, that Jesus knows. He sees all. He knows all. There's nothing that slips past him. He knows it all. And sometimes, listen, there's people in churches, he does not have any criticism. He doesn't have any correction. He's just like, man, this is an encouragement to you. I am so blessed with your direction. I'm so blessed with where you're headed. I'm so blessed with what you're doing. And I am proud of you. And he says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you, may, uh, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Now, can you imagine what it would be? Jesus is calling a church the synagogue of Satan. 
wonder what denomination that one was. Synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I, uh, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they, will love, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. What an encouragement. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. You're your faithful reward for service unto the Lord. Verse 12 goes on. He says, The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God. That's the kingdom of heaven, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. And then here's, the, here's what, what uh, Jonathan was talking about, and what John was uh, talking about as well is the scripture here he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches do you have an ear to hear what he has to say to the church so we have to listen and in unpacking this there's some things that he wants us to know and the first thing is this that our God our king is Jesus Jesus is king. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. Wherever there's leadership on the earth, whether it's the elected officials that God has ordained, whether it's governmental, whether it's political, or, or whether it's spiritual, no matter what, Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is the king of all. He is the one who puts those things in place. And he says here in verse 7, he says, he is the one who has the key of David. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the coming weeks, but David, David was a great, a mighty king. David was this man who, who God says was a man after my own heart, but David was a warrior. David was a man who fought battles on the Lord's behalf, and he destroyed enemies that were, that were so much more powerful than he was. And when we read of David in the Bible, one of the things that we should see when he's brought up, when David is being brought up, we should begin to think of kingship. We should begin to think of, of in this thing, a kingdom, a kingdom that that's being ruled by and reigning over that is this man in David. And we should think of rule and dominion and lordship. Church, when he's talking about David, listen, this is what I want you to have. I want you to have a bigger picture of Jesus. When you start thinking of Jesus Christ in that way, in the same realm as David was a king on this earth, Jesus Christ is king over all the earth. Amen. He is, I want you to have a bigger picture of Jesus because think about this. The smaller the picture of Jesus that you have, the bigger your problems will look. And the bigger the picture of Jesus that you have in your life, the smaller those problems will look. Because those problems will be forced to submit themselves under the dominion, the authority, the lordship, the kingship of Jesus Christ our Lord. The church, this church in Philadelphia was in a difficult place. This church had come under all of these kinds of affliction and all these kinds of attack. They had come under this place where there was these earthquakes that had ravaged the city and the church and there was volcanoes. They had, had given a really tough call, a difficult call. And, and so Jesus gives this letter and he's speaking to this church individually and collectively. He's talking to them and these people were under these difficult circumstances and they were submitting themselves to do, even in the difficult places, what God had compelled them to do. 
And Jesus makes this statement. He says, I want you all to know, I see all. He rules over all. Look at one of the big tragedies that we have today in, in the church specifically. One of the big tragedies that we have is where people, all we do is see Jesus in his humble incarnation here on earth. All we see Jesus as, as a humble peasant that walked the earth. We see him as this homeless kind of insignificant Galilean peasant. But here in Revelation, listen, we see this over, and I've been talking about this to you, over and over and over again. Every time Jesus, in all seven of these letters, every time Jesus begins to speak to the church, he doesn't remind them of who he was. He reminds them over and over and over and over again of who he is. He reminds them of who he is in this place where he is after his death, after his resurrection, after his ascension, after his return to heaven. He wants them to know that this is who he is. He is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the God of glory, the one who's created from the very beginning the earth and brought it to the place that it is today. He is the king of all kings and he is not just simply an ideology. He's not just a religion. He is a person and he is not dead on the cross. He is alive and living. He is at the right hand of God. He is ascended before the Father. He is living and he is almighty. He is all powerful. There is nothing greater and no one greater. Jesus Christ is not dead. He's alive. And today, listen, Jesus Christ is not living in humility, and nor will he come back in humility. Jesus Christ is living in a place of glory, a place of authority. And when he comes back again, he's coming with a shout of thunder, and he's coming to judge the earth, and he's coming to separate the tariff, the wheat and the, from the, the weeds and the goats from the sheep. He's coming in authority. He's coming as a warrior. And when he comes again, he's not coming the way he came the first time. First time he came to save you. This next time he will come to judge you. He's not an insignificant, humble peasant. He is a ruling, reigning, king of all kings, lord of all lords, God of glory. And that God, listen church, he knows all and sees all. Everything. And this big picture of Jesus is this. He is the one who has the key of David. He is the only power. He is the only authority that holds the key to the gate of heaven. And only he can open it. And if he opened that gate, no man can close it. And if that gate is closed, no one but he can open it. He's a God of authority. And he goes on and he says, he is then, he goes on, he says, he's the holy one in verse seven. That means that, listen, that means this. And we don't quite, I know our minds have a hard time wrapping around this. That means that he is holy. He is the holy one. There is none holy but him. He is the only holy one. That means that Jesus Christ, he always was, he was on this earth and always shall be. Jesus Christ is totally, completely without sin. There is no darkness, no shadow. There is no sin. There is no, uh, uh, no mistakes that he could make. Jesus Christ is sinless, always has been, always will be. There has never been a sin in him. He has always been and always will be completely, totally, nothing but holy. He is the holy 
Holy One and He's altogether holy. And as He's even speaking these letters to the churches, the theme is the church, but Jesus Christ is the center of the church. He's the center of it all. And so He's the subject of everything. That's why in the church here, you maybe you'll get sick of hearing the name of Jesus, but if that's true, you need to get saved because Jesus Christ is the center of the church. He is the center of everything. He is the center of what we do and why we do the things that we do. And He's the center of everything in these seven letters. It's Church, it's all about Jesus. And the moment it becomes about anything other than Jesus, we need to do something different. It's all about Jesus. Because listen, when Jesus, when Jesus is known, when people come to know him and he reveals himself to them, when Jesus is loved, when Jesus is proclaimed, when Jesus is preached about, you got a church. Because Jesus is in the center of these people. And so a church... Is literally, a church is this. A, a church is a group of people that are captivated by, they're in love with, and committed to, and totally born again and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And he says he is king, and he says he is the Holy One. Look, Jesus Christ was not just the best person that ever lived. He, he wasn't just the best person that ever lived. He's in a category all by himself. There is nobody close. There is nobody near. There is nobody else that is all like him. He alone lived without sin. Nobody else has ever come close. He alone is the holy one. He's not just a good person. He is the holy one. And that made him the only perfect substitute for us in our sin. Hallelujah. And he goes on and he says in verse 7, he says he's the true one. So he's the king he is the holy one, and he's also the true one. Listen, I don't, you know, whatever you may think or whatever anybody may say to you, Jesus Christ never did, never will, never has said a lie. He has never lied. He has never said something that was untrue. He has never said something that wasn't absolute truth. Hey, you may not like it because Jesus doesn't pull punches. He doesn't beat around the bush with us. He says things straightforward. He says things as they are. Hey, you won't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in my kingdom. That was his altar call. He doesn't pull punches. Jesus only tells the truth. Jesus always tells the truth. Jesus can only tell the truth. You know, it's, and it's not just because that's what he does, but it's because it's who he is. Jesus is the truth. It's the only thing that come out of him because it's who he is. And so whatever he says, church, whatever it is that he's told us, whatever it is that the word of God says, that is truth. Amen. So he is king, he is holy, and he is truth. And that God, that risen Savior, he says in verse 8, I know your works. Yes. I know your works. How encouraging is that? How wonderful is that? You know, it, it frustrates me to no end when, when people who aren't serving in the church spend their time criticizing the church. I can tell you, after 23 years of, of, of full-time ministry and serving in the church, rarely, rarely are those who are serving, are serving with the right heart serving with a God motive, not their own motive, when those who are serving in the church, very, very rarely are those that are serving in the church those who are complaining about the church. 
Okay, I, I mean, very rarely are those that are serving in the church those who are criticizing the church. Very rarely are those who are serving in the church those who are demanding of the church. And to that church, he says, he sees your works. Let me ask you personally, all that being true, what does he see? What does he see in you? What are you doing? What are you supposed to be doing? What are you supposed to be serving in? What gifts are you supposed to be using? Church, what are you supposed to be giving? Who are you supposed to be sharing with? When this all-knowing, all-powerful God who sees all that we do, sees you, what does he see you doing? Because listen, during the course of the week, I know there are some of you that are, some of you are leaders and, and servants and your, your family and you're plugging in. And I know that during the week you're thinking about Jesus. Well, listen, if you're thinking about Jesus, sooner or later, you're gonna start thinking about the church. Amen. Because Jesus is thinking about watching over the church. But the problem is, is that, like I said a couple of weeks ago, and please don't take offense to this. This is just truth. But we talked about things that are dying and things that are living, churches that are dead, churches that are alive. We talked about that. And one of the big ways in which a church can die is when a church is filled with more consumers than contributors. And again, I'm not talking about money. Because the consumers during the week... They're thinking about someone or something other than Jesus and therefore other than the church. They don't really think about it until the next week when they got to get up and go to church. What does a consumer think about all week? Themselves. It's all about me. It's all about what I can get. It's all about what I do. It's all about me. And we don't have any works. Well, and then this is the, the statement that comes up. Well, Christianity is not about works. Yes, it is. And church, let me just hear the full statement. You are saved by works. You are saved by the works of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are saved by the works of Jesus Christ, and then in his grace, he invites you to come and join him in the works that he did for you to save your soul. And the intention then is that in saving you, you become in Christ, and in Christ, you now begin to do the works that Jesus is doing, and you just start doing it with him. That's what he saved us to do. It's what you're here for. So we, we are not, again, we are, we are saved by grace, but it's the grace of God that gives us the privilege of joining into the works that Jesus did in saving us and calls us to that. Look, if you belong to Christ, then you're supposed to be living your life with Christ. Amen. That means that we're going to love what Jesus loves and we're going to do what Jesus is doing. And, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to save some of you some psychiatric counseling charges, some trips to Salt Lake, some sleepless nights. For some of you, the real root of your despair, the real root of your depression, the real root of your anxiety, the real root of your frustration is that you're not serving anybody. 
and you don't have the heart of Jesus, and you're not forgiving, and you're not caring, and you're not praying, and you're not serving, but then show up at church and complain that my needs aren't being met. Look, your greatest need is to be born again. Okay? After that, your greatest need is not having your needs met. Come on, let it soak in. Your greatest need is not having all of your needs met. If that's the way you think, then that's just selfish. Look, your greatest need in your life is not having all your needs met. Your greatest need in your life is to get out and serve someone. To get out and begin to serve. The greatest need you have is to begin to think about other people the way Jesus would have you think about them. To serve other people the way Jesus would have you serve them. To give as God would have you to give. That's the greatest need in, you, in your life that you have because that's what Jesus is doing. And you're supposed to be seeking Him first. Seeking first His kingdom. We're supposed to be doing what Jesus does. And when the person starts to think like God, when we start to think about others, when we start to serve others, when we start to reach out and care about others, when we start to to reach out and to, to give and do the things that Jesus did, then Jesus begins this transformation process where our heart becomes more and more like Jesus' heart. And what that will do is cause you to love the church, to love the church body, to love the people that are around you, to love what you're, what's happening in this person's life, to be able to encourage them because you can see them growing in Christ. You can see them moving forward with God. You can see them on this path to loving God and loving Him more and more all the time. People that are giving themselves to what Jesus gave Himself to. In church, you'll, you'll find a whole bunch of emotional freedom in that. You'll find that, wow, things start to click when I do what God created me to do. Look, each and every day, you know, the, our world is a mess. Our world is filled, obviously, with sin. The church is filled with people that are continuing to walk in sin. We're, we're, our, 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 we are a consumer-driven people. The companies are, are getting rich because we're consumer-driven. They've made it that way. Or we are that way naturally. And all we want is we want what we want. And if it looks good, and it really looks good on that ad on the TV, I really would like to take a ride on the silver bullet. then that's what we do because we are consumer-driven. And in this age of consumerism, and in this age of selfishness and self-centeredness, in this age when all we really can think about is ourselves, there is only one cure, only one cure for our world. And you can jump on every bandwagon for every opportunity there is out there to, to go after this cause or to raise this banner and to do this, and you will not change the world. There is one thing that this world needs and one thing that will, cure, that will bring a cure, and that is the Lord of Jesus Christ and those who are saved beginning to step out and to love and serve and be devoted to the good works that Jesus Christ committed to us. What the world needs is more Jesus. And Jesus has called you to represent him as an ambassador in this world. That means getting out and working as an ambassador would to promote the kingdom of God here on this earth.
So church, are you reaching out? Because what that means, what that means is that you're going to give yourself to loving people. That you're going to give yourself to serving people. That you're going to wake up each day looking for my purpose in this life. Who can I serve? Who can I love on? Who can I encourage? Who can I, who can I be the hands of Jesus to? Who can I be the mouth of Jesus to? Who can I speak those words? Because that's what Jesus does. So I finish with this. Who's your king? Hey, there's a lot of people who may say that and think that because Jesus Christ is their Savior. But let me tell you, Jesus Christ isn't just Savior. He is Lord and Savior. He is not a divided God, nor will He be a, div a divided God. He is Lord and Savior. And if He is Lord of your life, that means that you laid down your own throne to kingship over your life and you've let Him take rule and authority and dominion over your life as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, even King over you. So I ask you again, who is your king? Above you, above your parents, above your boss, above your pastors, above your coach, your professor. Come on. The king of all kings is Jesus Christ our Lord. The question is, is Jesus your king? You can find some of that answer in the question I asked you very first. What do you pay most attention to? When you look at those indicators he gives us, what does it tell you? Hey, listen, I, I'm not preaching at you. I am preaching with you. I've been on my knees throughout this week as I've been preparing this because you know what? I realize that there's a lot of times and uh, man, I, I, if I'm looking at what I'm doing, I, man, I, it's a reflection that Jesus Christ is not taking priority over my attentions and I have to readjust that. And it doesn't come from a swat on the behind that God gives me. It, gives, it comes from an encouragement that God brings to me. Come on, Mark. Let's get back on track. Give me your attention. I got some special things going on. I got some places I want to speak to you about. I got some things in your life that I want to do. Come on, Mark. Come back to this place. Step back on track. You don't have to say anything to me. The Holy Spirit's the one that's wanting to lead me into that. And it's not because he's going to spank me or you know, give me the knuckle on the head. I love you, Mark. Come back. Oh, God, forgive me. I've let, this, I've let the cares of this world take me over. And God, you said I'm supposed to cast all those cares on you. Lord, to be anxious for nothing. Thank you, Lord, for loving me enough to bring this encouragement to me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then he gives me the privilege of kneeling at his throne.
But when you kneel at the throne of Jesus, when you truly are kneeling with a bowed heart before the throne of Jesus, it will only be a matter of moments till you feel the hand of God pull you up and pull you close because your daddy's going to step in and pull you close so that you can hear his heartbeat. No, no, come. You bow down, come. Come unto me. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, oh Lord God, draw us to yourself. Thank you for this word of encouragement. Thank you, Lord God, that it's not bad news, it's good news that you see our works, that you see what we do. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would minister unto each and every heart from the front to the back, from one side to the other. Holy Spirit, minister to each one where they are and bring the word of encouragement that Jesus brought to the church and let our church be encouraged because each one in the church is being encouraged as well. That through that, Lord God, we, we as a directional church can set our eyes on you and your kingdom and do what you called us to do. Lord, as we bow before you, I, I thank you, Daddy, that you will pull us up, that we can then call out Abba, Abba, and know your heart. And tonight, today, if there's any that are apart from you, Lord, draw them to you. Bring them to that place of salvation. God, we love you. And I thank you for even more that you love us, that you love me, that you love these people, that you love this church. And even right now, you're paying attention to the church as well as each one in their thoughts. Lord, minister your grace. Let us hear you. Lord, I want to listen. I want to listen. I want to listen to you. Come on, make that your prayer.
Come on, tell him. Well, let's do that again. Don't sing that if you're gonna if it's not true. Come on. I'll Of this letter next week. I hope that you'll come back and hear what God has to say to the church. Church, I love you. I am so blessed to be a part of you. And I pray that in this you will see how God's calling you to serve, how God's calling you to be a light, how it is that God is asking you to do, and that you'll go out there into this community and go do it. Amen? Go be the light that God has called you and saved you to be. Go be the servant that God is needing in this community. Go be the church. Amen? Amen. God bless.